This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Al Palmer. Al, welcome. Thank you. I am really looking forward to your episode because I know you are passionate about the subject that you want to spend most of the time talking about, and we want to get to that point. So let's start at the beginning. Would you mind telling us a little bit about growing up and what was it that piqued your interest in joining the Navy? I had some second cousins that were Army. My biological father was Marine, some grandparents that were also Army. My dream job my whole life was actually fire department. I just picked Navy. Uh, my original goal was to go to Special Forces so I can get out and join the fire department. My dream job and the way my stuff was looking after I graduated high school, it was seen to be my only option was to go that route. It would have been easier than try to do a fire academy at the time. Why did you want to do special forces and what was it about the fire department? Were there experiences? A little bit of a couple things. So one was the dream from the childhood thing, but also health because my grandfather was a captain of one of the local fire departments. Kind of grew up in a fire station. So that kind of helped. <laughs> Did you go to dream. Navy as soon as you graduated? Did you head off? Within the within about a half year's time. It's all in a place called Great Lakes, Illinois. Uh, so I went in dead winter, 97. Ooh. I didn't think it was really that hard. Uh, the only thing sucks is, you know, like it's kind of a little bit of lack of sleep sometimes and the food sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you had to wash it down with bread and butter when the bread didn't have mold on it. No, are you kidding me? Nope. They didn't treat you very well. <laughs> Shouldn't they want to feed you healthy food so they can have these strong Navy? No? <laughs> I don't know. It's Where... government funding. That's the easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Where did you go after basic? What was your journey uh... like? So I went in, I picked what was called a, a source rating. So like Army and, and Marine Corps, they used MOSs. In mm -hmm. the uh, Navy, we have what's called a rating. And I ended up doing communications. I was one of the last guys to go through what's known as radium in A school. Shortly after, the Navy started merging rates to save budget so they could shut down part of that whole shutting down basis thing that happening during that time by merging schools they could have less buildings and less room to take up so they merged data processors and radio men and which made the rate which is now it may i ask what year it was that you joined 97 97 mm -hmm. did you have any deployments i did two deployments i was in iraq and i went down to Central America. What did you do in Iraq 
this was during enduring freedom where i was going up on a swick boat and going into iraqi waters with our lights off and we were taking over high value targets coming out of iraq and oil tankers or like uh, supply shipping containers saddam was selling oil on the black market illegally to raise money for his military how long were you in iraq it was like four or five months and were you kept behind the scenes or behind the lines did you come close to any actual arm fire yes there was one that we did and uh it was almost like something that came out of like Waterworld or Mad Max. It had complete siding and everything because all the the rib boats or the inflatable boats that we use for high speed boats for trying to get close to these things. They had uh, like sparked rebar iron panels welded aside to try to prevent us from coming on board and then they were shooting at us and we needed a uh, another team to come support us the closest team was the british sas team so it turned into a joint country task force operation that we did what is going through your head honestly i to me it just seemed like it was a job it, it was i mean I, obviously your adrenaline's going but aside from that i just kind of had another day at work just another day i was doing what i should do what i was told to do the group i was with um we ended up capturing the largest convoy of enemy naval ships in history tell me about that uh it's just like i said See how uh, you just matter of factly say <laughs> that like it's no big deal so we had to as we captured ships we had support from uh the main fleet, Navy fleet, we just had uh, from the, like all the local destroyers and frigates that were in the area, they supplied crew to help drive and maneuver the line of ships we captured. And then we took them and we turned them over to either the government, either in uh, Bahrain or Kuwait. And then I guess the crew was dispersed and sent back to wherever they were from. But those ships we took were seized. Wow. What were you doing down in South America, you said? Yeah, we're uh, chasing the drug cartel. That had to have been exciting sometimes. One story I love to tell is about how um, we found this cadaver out floating in the middle of the ocean. And over time, uh, due to salt water and the elements and the birds and the fish eating at the body, um, then the body de decomposes. The body becomes so weak, it cannot support the weight of the brain. And at two weeks, give or take a day, the head will come off because the weight of the brain will cause the head to fall off and sink. So you were seeing a headless cadaver? Correct. And had broken ribs coming out the tissue and everything. We did name him Bob. Of course. What's interesting, too, is that a lot of people are like, well, why are you laughing about that? But when you're in situations, you have to use humor sometimes to kind of bring it down where you can deal with it. Yeah. Call the Mexican Navy to come out and look at it, see if they want to do anything about it. They get out there and say, we're not touching it. It's in Guatemalan waters. So we had to call the Guatemalan Navy to come out. They came out. Somebody shot a rifle, pull it, and knocked a chunk of it off so yeah I, I 
I got in a dry suit, and then and the water, ocean water around the equator is about 85 degrees all year round. And I went to go bag it, and the thing blew up. It did not taste good. And I had to get a bunch of shots. Do you have to collect what's left? At that point, I didn't bag any of it. <laughs> is that something that you see that stays with you? Yeah, in fact, I have severe PTSD. One of the things I try to do, what I do now, is it keeps me busy. And as long as I can keep my mind busy, it helps me to try to stay on top of my situations and scenarios and everything I do in daily life. Try to risk my hallucinations. But I actually was driving through Cottonwood uh, like three weeks ago. And there was a cadaver laying on the ground next to a car accident. And I immediately had a hallucination back to that exact moment. That you just happened to pass. Yeah. And I hallucinated behind the wheel. And are you able to control yourself when you're behind the wheel? Do you have to pull over for a minute I, and collect yourself? Uh, normally, I have music playing so I could have something to focus on. And that kind of was able to pull me out of it. How long were you in the Navy? Eight years. Eight years. And can you describe maybe a little bit about PTSD? How do you explain that to someone, what that is? I feel like I'm constantly fighting to keep myself in check. And that's every day? Yes. Did it start immediately? I mean, when did this start? Well, I ended up getting meted out and I knew it was bad then. And that's what made me realize how bad it was. I got honorably discharged about a half a year right before I hit my eight-year mark. And can you explain where that PTSD came from? Was it what you saw, what you experienced? Do you even know? It was a lot of a bunch of stuff. It all added up. Yeah. And how many years later are we then? So I got out in 05, so yeah, it's almost been 20 years. And you're dealing with it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Did this lead you then to what you were doing now and what you were so passionate about? Um, I like to joke and I say men get thrown into jail and prison for three reasons. Drugs, women, or drugs and women. <laughs> I got arrested. Uh, because of a situation with a woman and uh, I ended up in veterans court in Salt Lake County here and honestly it's the best thing that's happened to me in years how long ago was this four or five years and had all this been building up to that point no you know um, our previous judge would like to talk to the vets and tell the vets what do you think when I say boundaries? And I know he, what he was getting at, and I understood it. You know, you control who you allow in your life. If you let people who are going to treat you bad and walk on you in your life, then you're asking yourself for something to happen. And I was trying to lax on those guidelines I used to have about letting people in my life and who are controlled. And it just went south went badly and i i lost my temper and i ended up in jail 
And I sat there for a little while before somebody hey asked me, say, Hey, are you a vet? Yeah. Have they ever told you about vet court? I'm like, no. And so I went through it. So last year there were 350 vet courts throughout the nation. And now there are actually 600 veterans courts in throughout the nation. Veterans court is a treatment court. The guidelines are to qualify, uh, your charges either have to be alcohol or drug related, or you have been diagnosed with a severe TBI, traumatic brain injury, severe anxiety disorder, or severe PTSD. And, um, I had qualified for a few of those. One of the differences between, uh, say, veterans court and your normal drug court is the mentor program. And the mentor program is run and compiled of veterans who are just volunteering themselves to give back and help out the vets in vet court. Uh, veterans, when they get into vet court, they have three years to complete vet court. Once they do, basically, they can get their charges completely erased. You said there are 600 courts. It has doubled since last year almost. Last year, there was 350. Now there are 600 veterans treatment courts throughout the country. The need is so great. Yes. There are four veterans courts in the state of Utah. What does that tell you about our veterans? It's something I already didn't know is that we don't get treated well when we get back home. And people turning a shoulder and turning their face to shoulders coming back from like Vietnam era. But it's more people don't under, understand the VA health care system is sucks for the most part. And isn't that uh, just maddening? Yeah. And that, not only that, but. You know, these guys, when you try to fight to get your uh, pension for anything you went through medically in the VA, it's a fight. And because the government doesn't want to put out money if they don't have to. And eventually they just keep denying claims and, and either you keep fighting or eventually some guys just give up. It makes me so angry listening to you, Al, because I think of Congress sitting there on their butts getting the best health care of anyone in the country where it should be our veterans that are getting the best health care. It infuriates me. And that's part of the reason why I do this podcast, because you and other veterans are not getting the help that not only that you need, but that you deserve, that you have earned. It's hard to find a doctor at a VA that listens to you and treats you like a human being. And Understanding that obviously you know more about what your medical issues, what you go through on a daily basis than them because it's your body. I got a primary care that is amazing. And it's only because of her that I get the help I needed at times. But there are times that her hands are tied because it is kind of a bureaucracy. Well, what is it that you do? I am the mentor coordinator. I run the the mentor group for Salt Lake County uh, Veterans Court. I work hand in hand with the 3rd the District County Courthouse and the VA. I am also currently helping put together and train the new mentor coordinator for Utah County Vet Court. I obviously met you through the person who used to be that person. 
we do everything we can to help these guys. And it's all about the hand up, but especially not about the hand up. Some of these guys, they were homeless. They were using and they were living on the streets. So when they come in, they got nothing, no clothing on their back, nothing. When a vet comes into vet court and they plead in, I do an intake interview, find out what their military history was. And I like to ask, they got their service-connected disability rating yet? Because obviously, get the ball rolling on that if they don't have it or if they're not at 100% and they seem like if they're unable to work and if they can, see if they might qualify for the non-service-connected VA rating, which not many vets get told about at all. Uh, because that gets a check in somebody's pocket within two months. If they don't have a vehicle, if they're low income, I work with the uh, welfare square here locally in Salt Lake County, and we get bus passes. If they need clothing, I get clothing orders, furniture orders through welfare square. Um, one of the main goals of the program, though, is get these vets out interacting with the other vets in vet court and doing what we can to rebuild the brotherhood and the camaraderie we all have when we're active duty. Uh, there's four weekly activities. Mondays, we do what's called lunch in the park. We go hang out at Murray Park for an hour and just relax and bullshit and bring your own lunch. During the winter, they do kind of lock up all the park benches. And so we go and we meet at a pizza place around the corner. And I do use our nonprofit to buy a pizza for the guys. Uh, Tuesdays, we call it USARA. We use the USARA facility, but we run it kind of like an A meeting, but it's actually kind of a vent bullshit session as well. We just go around the room and everybody talks about how their week's been going. And if they need any help or advice, me, other mentors who work for me, and other veterans are there to, you know, chip in and help these guys through whatever they're going through. Third, every Thursday, we have court. It was better pre-COVID when all the vets had to go to court in person. Because it was more personable. It was more like a family thing. And especially with the way our court is very friendly and, and the way it's run. And then Fridays, we go out and we do equine therapy with uh, horses that at all at one point used to be wild mustangs. Um, I also do monthly activities. Uh, next Saturday is actually going to be the first joint vet court activity between Utah County and Salt Lake County vet court. We are all going to a bees baseball game together. Every September, instead of a monthly activity, we do a yearly camp out. We go five days up to the high you with us. Whether stuff we get that we do monthly is donated. Uh, I know this year we had $3,600 worth of tickets donated to us from the Grizzlies. And we went to hockey three months in a row. Or I do what I can to do, find something we can all do on a budget because we just got our 51C3 set up about a year and a half ago. And if the activity was well-received, then that'll be our activity every year for that month. So it's easier planning from that point. You mentioned that many of these veterans are homeless. They don't have transportation. Are they on their own to get to the activities? Like I said, uh, we'll get them bus passes, but if they need to, because part of their treatment at vet court, they're going to have to go to uh, doctor's appointments. So me or one of the mentors that work for me will go pick them up and take them to where they need to go. I'm wondering, and I'm sure you do, have veterans 
that just can't seem to make any progress. Do you have some of those? You can't take it personally. That's number one. Because, I mean, I know I do this full time. I even have to sometimes go do medical calls. Or if I get a vet who's suicidal, they'd have or rather have me show up than a cop because they know me and they trust me. But you also can't make somebody change who's not willing to do the work and change for themselves. You got guys who want to keep going and want to keep using. They don't want to kick the addiction and they don't want to do the treatment, even though they might say they do. They'll just end up eventually getting kicked out of the program and never end up going to do their time because the treatment and the resources we're giving to them, they just chose not to use them. The way I see it, though, I figure that's 10% of the vets we get. Before we got on, Al, you mentioned you're in your car all the time. Is that what you're doing? You're doing activities. You're going where you're needed. You're going to court. You're going to, if somebody is having a really bad day and they need you there. Check in on them, doing a welfare check, doing a medical call, uh, community outreach, trying to partner up and get uh, grants and donations to chip in because I do volunteer, but I do have to get some at least mileage reimbursement for using my own vehicle. So trying to get the constant funding and trying to, you know, get local community uh, businesses to partner up, which is easier than trying to go after a large corporation. Like today, after court, I went and had gave a ride for my veterans because uh, they had to go do a random drug test. And then after that, I went to the Salt Lake County Jail, try to sign up one of my new mentors so he can go do legal vision. And then after that, I went to a low-income elementary school to get another uh, resource because our veterans need 40 hours of community service to graduate the program. Yeah, I've been constantly moving. How many veterans are you working with? I have 30 veterans in veteran support. I have 12 or 13 mentors. I got two in the pipeline that are, should be mentors within the next month. But the other part of that is... Not all of them can do what I do full time because they got jobs or they got kids. Are most of them without families and that's why they're in the situation that they are? Or the option is, is their choices and their life choices, if especially if it was drug or alcohol related, push their families away. And one of the best feelings about the program, when you know you're the ones that help bring their family back together. And that is an amazing feeling. What does it mean to be a part of this and what does it do for you? There are guys that I know I help out. They think I get paid. They, honestly, everything I do, they were shocked because they thought I made at least 75 grand a year. And I said, no, I do. I volunteer. And honestly, I think if I got paid, it would take some of the meaning out of it. It's very rewarding. The pay is good. Even though it's volunteer, the pay is good. But at the same time, because of my severe PTSD, it keeps me busy keeps me occupied and it's nice to know I get to use skills again whether it's medical skills or other other skills it's nice to know I get to go out and do something using those skills I used to use before how are you supporting yourself I actually just found out that I can legally work I 
was uh, told I wasn't able to work after an accident I was in in 2007. And I haven't been cleared to work since. And I didn't think I was able to work once I got on. Because I'm still fighting for my 100% for the VA. But I'm on the non-service connected VA disability claim. Which gives me money in my pocket to help me survive at the time being. Now, because I am on that, I am labeled as what the VA calls TMP, which means total and permanently disabled. Now, when the VA labels you as TMP, they might allow you to work, can't make more than the poverty threshold, which means you can't make more than $1,000 a month, and that includes taxes. I recently found out I can work, so I did go get a job. I do work like two days a week to bring some extra income in on top of what I get from the VA. And it's sustainable. Flip side is I had to make sure I could find something I could easily get a job at doing. And two, because it can't take up too much of my time, I'm needed to do run the VetCorp mentor program. How are you treating your PTSD? Um, I am seeking better help and treatment from a non-VA doctor because due to COVID, they lowered the bar and more people right now can get on Medicaid. So I'm getting better help because I'm on Medicaid. Do you talk to someone? Yes. What do you think that many Americans unfamiliar with veterans and the system, what are we most unaware of? The doctor I, uh, I see through Medicaid, he actually used to work at a VA. And he hated the fact that they were told to just check boxes and send them on their way. It's just like they were in the military. You're just another number. What do we need to change? Well, one thing I kind of learned I thought was nifty. Um, I was actually at a conference in Nashville for the organization that runs all the treatment courts in the country. And they were saying that if you run into a veteran, whether they want to get treated at a VA or not, if they are not registered in their local VA healthcare system, tell them to do it. Because the budgeting comes from numbers. And if the more vets who are registered with the VA healthcare system, the more budgeting they will receive to hopefully better the VA healthcare. So I thought that was interesting and I think that was neat. I mean, so that's one I recently learned about. The other is whether the veterans are using uh, what's called the choice program. And a lot of the uh, healthcare hospitals or whatever, they are understaffed and, and there are so many veterans that they created a thing a couple of years back where it's like, because normally a good example is uh, my primary care has told me, we need, I want you to go do physical therapy. Now she put in a consult and I would go to the physical therapy and they, and they would say, Oh, yeah, your doctor wanted you to get seen within two weeks, but we're booked out until a month and a half from now. And then you go in finally after that month and a half, and you're only seen for 30 minutes, and then you're sent home, and then you come back another two months later, if you're lucky, one month later. But now they, they put it in a place where a thing was like, well, we can't get you in for two months. Would you like to take advantage of the choice program? And you say yes. So then it has to take a while to get approved. But instead of getting seen, 30 minutes a month or two months now because of the choice program they pay for you to go out in town 
to a regular physical therapist where you can get seen two to three times a week up to like two to three hours at the pop paid for by the VA. I think it is such a shame and so embarrassing that the strongest, most powerful country on earth makes it so that our vets who need the help have to jump hoops to get it. I don't understand it. It's horrendous. Isn't it horrendous? Like I said earlier, government funding. It's awful. I, I just don't, I can't even, oh, I don't understand. What can an average American do to help out? Aside from the other things right now, I don't know. Our country's divided and it's a mess. I would say vote. You know, it's hard to find someone good to vote for nowadays at all. <laughs> That's for sure. And once you vote for somebody, like, oh, you're this. And I'm like, no, I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm just American. I just want a decent leader. Patriotism is pride in your country. Doesn't mean you have to be proud of your leaders. Isn't there anyone to write to? Anybody that <laughs> can contact to say this is wrong? A lot of people say out there, you know, write your senators. Um, I know they tried doing a thing. Uh, the VA tried to get rid of one of the disability ratings. And it's the easiest one to get, which is tinnitus. So whether a veteran has any claim or if he doesn't have a claim at all, he can still put in for tinnitus and say, yeah, it's ringing in the ears. And because it's the easiest one to get, because they can't really diagnose tinnitus and say you don't have it, it's 200 bucks in their pocket they didn't have before. Well, the VA decided they were going to try to get rid of it. And a bunch of people did write their senators, and they went after the VA for it. And so, I mean, that did work. So they are pushing back on that because, yeah, it's 200 bucks a month, but if it's going to every veteran, that means it's also the most paid out one. And it's the most paid one on top of that. There's cases where writing your senator does work. But aside from that, I don't know. Do you feel hopeless or do you feel hopeful that things will get better for veterans? I don't have a quit bone in my body. I don't ever really feel hopeless on anything. I always keep fighting and that's just been the way I am. So I just keep doing everything I can try to find another way. I mean, it helps right now because I'm on Medicaid, but it's like the minute I lose Medicaid, it's like crap. But like I said, it does help if you got a decent primary care in your corner who can help the fight get things done. One of the reasons I wasn't really allowed to work is I actually do traumatic brain injury. I have what's called type 2 narcolepsy. The medication I'm on that helps me function as an adult normally through a day, because until I was on this medication, I was drinking like 10 Red Bulls a day just to get through a day. That sounds healthy. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh, that's awful, Al. Ugh. And the VA doesn't carry it. But because I did all the pre-authorization and I'm on it again through Medicaid, my primary care at the VA might be able to have a little bit more pull to get me on this medication, even though the VA doesn't carry it. She might be able to get the VA to carry it now. Because she's understanding. She knows fully. When I told her I was on Medicaid, she was jumping up and down. She was like, she was so happy. She's like, I'd write you a consult, but I know the VA won't approve it. <laughs> it is a nightmare, but it's just trying to find ways to not giving up and just finding another way. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know about 
the veterans court or the mentors program? The one thing I wish um, more importantly is knowledge that that program is there. There are many veterans who get arrested and they're facing charges and they pay thousands of dollars to an attorney. Don't do nothing for them. When a public defending attorney could just say, hey, are you a veteran? And get him into the program. Some vets would sit there for a year before they even get offered it. But not everybody gets offered either. I would love to get the word out. I mean, because I understand. Uh, crap happens. And I said it jokingly, but yeah, three reasons, you know, guys get arrested. Crap happens whether you saw it coming or not. And it's it's nice to know that there are programs out there who, that are created to make sure they got your back. For a veteran listening today who might need this service, how do they find it? Well, there are now 600 veterans courts throughout the country. The very first one was created in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Utah has four. You have Utah County, Salt Lake County, Salt Lake Judicial, and then Salt Lake Federal Court. So even if they're federal charges, there are vet courts out there for you. And you just um, look up Veterans Court. You just Google it and it should pop yeah, up. See if you got one in your area. Okay. Is there anything else that we have not talked about that you want to mention, Al? Because I really want you to get this message out there. It just makes me want to do something but I don't know how to help. Well, you are helping. <laughs> I hope so. At least I hope that I'm helping people understand that there is a need for it and that we need to do a better job with our veterans' health. Mentally and physically, we need to do a much better job. Well, thank you, Al, for sharing your American story. And for everybody listening, Please use your voices and stand up for our veterans who deserve and need the help that they have incurred through injuries mentally or physically to keep us safe and free. Remember them because they need all of our support. Thank you again, Al. It means a great deal to me that you would come on and share this with us. It means a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country. 